Welcome to this BJSM podcast. Today we're listening to a conversation between Aaron Macri and Michael Rathleff about the role of patellofemoral pain education. So my name is Aaron Macri and I'm a member of the BJSM editorial team. It is my pleasure today to introduce you to Michael Rathleff. Michael works at the Research Unit for General Practice in Aalborg, Denmark. He is an associate professor and head of the Opti Youth Research Group that works towards improving musculoskeletal health in adolescents. Hello, Michael. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, Erin. Thanks for the invitation. So as a clinician, if I were to look at the literature and see what it says regarding the best approach for treating patellofemoral pain, the evidence, as far as I can see, overwhelmingly supports looking at exercise such as quad strengthening, hip strengthening, that sort of thing, uh, as the dominant approach to managing patellofemoral pain. So what inspired you to focus your attention on education? So it, it's super interesting. Back in, um, I think it's seven or eight years ago when uh, when I started being interested in research, the national guidelines for managing kids with patellofemoral pain was that uh, we just have to give them uh, some good advice because the knee pain is self-limiting, benign, will go away on its own. And I think me as a physiotherapist, I was super keen on exercise can fix everything. That's why we did the old uh, cluster randomized trial. We compared uh, education versus education and exercise therapy. And my big bias back then was that exercise therapy will have amazing results compared to only uh, education. And um, to my big surprise, uh, exercise therapy was a bit better compared to patient education, but the number needed to treat was around uh, 11 at our primary outcome. And that was kind of a, a knock to the head on how potent, how important uh, patient education can be. And looking back also in terms of the feedback from the patients actually showed that there were several ways we could further improve what we did back then in terms of uh, education side of things. So education, I mean, it's a broad topic. Can you maybe tell me what the key elements are that you think are critical for managing patellofemoral pain? That's actually, it's a super interesting question. We've been, we're looking into patient preferences and needs for education at the moment. And one of the things that just shows really clearly from our qualitative research is the diversity between patients, what they need. So, I would consider actually adolescents or the sports active adolescents with patellofemoral pain to be a quite homogenous group compared to the broad adult uh, population. And, and even in this population, which we think are quite homogenous, they're young, sports active, the majority being females, their need for education, their worries, their beliefs is just so different from patient to patient. Like a good example is, um, is a couple of kids we've had in. One of them, he um, he just wanted to be part of his team. So every time he could, he would just have a couple of painkillers, go out, play football together with his friends, because his main thing was, I want to be part of my team. And then we had another young girl, and um, she didn't have this this problem about, or not problem, but strong desire to be part of a team. She was actually pushed from parent side of things, from the coach's side of things, to keep playing despite having this knee pain. And of course, even though they're both sports active, their needs for education is uh, is quite different. One needs to like internally balance their needs for being part of the team, while the one 
where it's the parent and the coach, that's a totally other form of education you would do that would be more like all encompassing and both include her and how she could balance her parents and the coach and maybe also some support tools for for the coaches and parents. Great. Can you tell me a little bit about uh, what you might tell each of these two patients about training load management, for example? So if we just take load management could be quite similar for, for both of them. But if we take the case where they just want to be part of the team, they take a couple of painkillers before playing sports for them. I would try to uh, figure out uh, how much can I reduce them. I wouldn't take them out of their sport, for example. I would always try to to keep them participating in the sport, maybe only in the warm-up. Maybe they would just uh, sit uh, next to the bench, still be part of the team, still be part of the, the social uh, elements. And then I would um, most likely build a, an activity ladder, as we've done previously, having some, some simple uh, steps, maybe starting from – when you can walk, when you can walk on stairs, you can progress to the next level, then slowly build up towards uh, sports participation again. My bias would always be to to keep it simple and to give them some directions on how they can self-manage. We developed this activity ladder for, uh, for a recent study we did where we start with walking and when they could do that relatively pain-free, they could continue to bicycling and then stairs and slow walking and Sorry, slow running and then fast running and then slowly progress back into into sport. And that's based on some of the feedback we got from from patients that they want something that's specific. They want some clear direction on when can I progress into to the next level and when am I able to go back into playing sports, for example. Great. And that activity ladder, you actually have that as a teaching slide that you use with patients. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. It's based on a study we recently did on 151 kids with uh, patellofemoral pain between 10 and 14. And it's part of this uh, education leaflet that we uh, developed for, for that trial. It's, uh, it's a simple tool, but I think it makes a lot of, uh, a lot of sense because if uh, some of the feedback we've received on our old education leaflet, which was very unspecific in terms of how to progress, um, this one makes more sense to the patients and it's, it's suddenly operational what they have to do or when they can progress to, to the next level. Now, I remember when I saw you presenting at the International Patellofemoral Pain Research Retreat in Gold Coast, you showed us a couple of other slides that you have that you use as teaching tools. I think one was an adherence graph. Maybe tell me a little bit about those other teaching tools you have. Yeah, so, so adherence is a super interesting uh, topic as well. How do we get our patients to adhere to our exercise uh, prescription? And uh, that's not an easy task. And I think the first step is, of course, explaining why we think the exercises are important, giving them a rationale for um, why they should do it. And the next thing is giving them some uh, like a carrot. For example, the the, not the ladder, but the graph that I've printed is based on our old RCT where we showed that uh, basically the more exercise you do, the more likely you are to be recovered from your knee pain after 12 months. And it's divided into if you do your exercise between zero and one time per week on average, one to two or three or more times per week, I think it is. And um, it gives a percentage on how likely is it that you're recovered after 12 months. So I try to show it to the kids and say, okay, I want you to do these exercises 
three times per week. And if you do it three times per week, there's a quite high probability of you being free from your knee pain after 12 months. But if you decide not to do your exercise, you just have to be aware that the, the odds or the recovery rates are, are substantially lower compared to if you actually did your exercises. So that's the way how I try to, to frame it and, uh, and use it for both the kids and the parents. I imagine that would be helpful for adults to hear something similar to that. I think it's good for all of us um, to show how much benefit there actually is in, in doing the exercises. So on one hand, we're educating about gradually increasing activity or managing load. And on the other hand, we're saying the more you do, the better. So is does, do people ever get confused about that? I would be careful in saying this too, too loud. But in, in kids with knee pain, I think exercises are overrated. I think the most important thing for the majority, not all, but the majority, is if we can just teach them how to how to balance their training loads, that will have a great effect for uh, for the majority. Exercises are good, but I don't think it's actually uh, always needed for these uh, young kids. I think their main issue is doing too much too soon and um, not being able to to balance that. So it may be less of an issue of muscle imbalances or poor mechanics for adolescents, but more so maybe an issue of tissue capacity? Something like that. At least the cross-sectional studies we've done on these uh, very young kids with a recent onset of patellofemoral pain show they don't really have any strength deficits compared to their um, pain-free peers. So that would be both in knee and hip uh, strength. They don't really seem to have any deficits. But what we do see is that they do a lot of sports. So despite having knee pain, they would normally do like three or four times sport outside what they do in uh, during PE classes. So that brings me to another one of your teaching tools that I found interesting. Can you explain the seesaw graph to me? Yeah, so so the seesaw graph is something I, I use when I try to explain the your training load versus your capacity to actually handle that training load. I call it training load because for the majority of these adolescents, it's quite simply they are doing too much, too soon, too often with a too high intensity. So for them, I would just call it training loads. And the idea is to to explain to them that maybe we can improve your strength. We can make your capacity to handle loads greater. But if we don't manage this left side of the seesaw, which is your training loads, we don't really seem to get a balance between training loads and your capacity to handle load. So we need to look at both ends of this seesaw. I think it'll make sense when if we can upload this as a as a supplementary appendix to uh, to this podcast. That's great. I would love to do that. Thank you for for allowing us to do that. So as a clinician who's listening, are there any sort of parting words or a, a take home message that you'd really like to impart to to the listeners? I think the most important thing is uh, acknowledging the um, the difference between the many kids with uh, with knee pain and really taking your time to sit down and ask a really thorough patient history and then afterwards spending time on um, on delivering education to them education is not something you can just deliver in 10 minutes and then and then the adolescents will take it off and change behavior and do all the right things I think it, it, it's something that takes time. Often I use it as a, as an analogy of if I were to teach you a new language, I couldn't do it in a one session. It would often require multiple sessions for teaching people a new skill or a new 
or acquiring new knowledge. And with these kids with knee pain, I try to give them small doses of education. Then they go out into the real world and try to change behaviors and maybe they succeed, maybe they fail, then they come back. And we use that as a way of uh, educating them further and giving them new knowledge every time. So it's, it's not a one-off session and then you know everything about managing your own knee pain. That's great. And I think it takes time. It takes time to sit down and teach them how to how to self-manage uh, their knee pain. So take your time. Great. Thank you. I think it's really great to see uh, you and your team focusing more on education. I know often in the research we're using education as as the control treatment. And so we haven't really put a lot of thought into how to optimize education. So it's, so thank you so much for taking the time to actually see if there are ways that we can do that, do a better job of that. I know as, as physiotherapists and clinicians, we often consider ourselves educators, but there isn't a lot of research out there on how to do that. So thank you so much. I agree. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Michael. No worries. It was a pleasure. Thank you for choosing this BGSM podcast. You can keep in touch with us via the usual social media channels or download the BGSM app and listen to over 320 relevant clinical podcasts. And as ever, have a physically active day.